well, I don't know what quite to do first. So I think what I'll do first is just introduce what this, is, what this day is about. Okay? So I think that's what I'll do. Um, the title of today's message, and I'll get to it here, and then do push play, and then do this. Okay? Kind of disheveled a little. It's time to seek the Lord. That's, that's what this is about today. Been preparing for this for quite some time. Uh, we, this will be our ninth year, actually, of doing it. Ninth year altogether. That's a long time. And, of course, generally speaking, um, when you set your heart to seek the Lord, you're going to have a freight train coming at you of opposition. And it, can, and it can happen in any kind of way in your life. So, in other words, don't think that you're going to be able to take your listening guide home and sit down with an aura of peace uh, and the clouds covering you just the right time and the cool little breeze or warm breeze and a cup of hot chocolate or coffee there and then the heavens will open. It's going to be chaos. The dog will be chasing the cat or the cat will be chasing the dog and the kids will be distracted you know, dismembering the house, and, you know, the wife just may want to kill you for no reason, or vice versa, and grandma will even be upset. I mean, there's just no telling what might happen. Your car may decide it needs a new motor, okay? Your your boss may decide that the whole world does revolve around you, and he's going to ensure you know that. Whenever you set your heart to seat to seek the Lord, you become a major threat to hell. Amen. Because when, when God's people get realigned with Him and they begin to rediscover personal holiness in their life, they begin to rediscover the sufficiency of Scripture in their life, the faithful promises of God in their life, they begin to stop doing things that grieve the Spirit, which has an opposite effect. It makes the Spirit stronger in you because you've, you're not grieving Him so that you have a limited power. Now you're becoming more useful, right? Uh, and so you become a threat. And, and, and so now you take that individually. Now take that collectively as a church. Or, I mean, this is the bigger, this is the bigger desire. The churches. Okay, imagine what would happen if all of God's people began to just discard every weight and sin and snare that has bound them up, relied fully upon the counsel of Scripture, and sought to please the Lord in every way possible, and then began to make amends with everybody they know they've wronged, Deal with their pride, deal with their, with their idols, cast those. Imagine what would happen in the dynamic of the climate of our culture if God's people began to do that. You're talking about a radical, revolutionary. It's, it would be, to me, it's sort of like a, a spiritual nuclear bomb. It would have devastating effects upon evil. And so that's... <laughs> In one small micro, microcosm, that's what we're about today, is, is, is setting our hearts to seek the Lord, okay? 
So I think what I'm going to do first is just kind of go through some things out of Isaiah just to set the stage. And then I'm going to go over how our prayer and fasting time is going to work. This is the listening guide. You don't stick it, do that. But this is, and I'll, I'll get to this in a minute. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. In honor of God and His Word, let's stand. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. Lost my glasses. But anyway, I've got it on the screen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is out of Isaiah chapter 55, 6 and 7. Going to have four things we're going to look at today in order to inform us on how this will affect our time of seeking the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask for mercy once again to come before your throne of grace. That we'd ask that the, that the power of the written word would, would so go into our souls and our minds that it would recalibrate us to start today on a new journey for, with you this year. And Lord, that we would shake off all those things that have come upon us and that we would take this opportunity individually and corporately as a church to recalibrate, realign, refresh, renew, restore before you in holiness and repentance. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see. I lost my glasses completely. Anyway, hopefully I won't need them. Are they on my coat? Oh, thanks. <laughs> Sometimes the cylinders just don't hit on all eight. Okay. All right. So out of, out of, uh, out of Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, this is the NLT. Now, I want to read to you the same set of scriptures from the New Living Translation. Sometimes it just helps with the, the syntactical issues of what the verse is trying to break out. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. And I, and I like that because over here it said... Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. So the, the, the emphasis is now. We don't really get that out of the New King James. But out of the NLT, we get the emphasis, call on him while he is near, right now. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. So not only are you supposed to get rid of, of, of the wickedness, but you're to banish the very thought of it. That's why I appreciate sometimes... Uh, uh, a good paraphrase on, on occasion. The NLT is not quite a paraphrase, but it's helpful. It says, let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. And of course, the New King James, for he will abundantly pardon. Both of them are saying the same thing. But I think you can see there's a little emphasis, a little different just in, in, the, in the, uh, the volume of what the scripture is, is encouraging us to do. To, to come before God now. To take adv- advantage of his, hear- his nearness now. He desires to pardon now. And he wants to forgive not just a little, but generously, abundantly. So I've called this, arranged this into four sections. Four criteria for seeking God. So it's four. It's really simple. Number one. It says in verse 6, 
take advantage of his availability. Take advantage of his availability. Now, the first thing that might cause you to ask is, does that mean there's going to come a time when God's not available? Right? And the answer is, yeah. It, there, is, there will come a time when God will not be available. Not that he's gone because there's nowhere God can go to get away from himself. And there's nowhere we can go to get away from him. But we're talking about that redeeming grace, that grace that's offered. That, that opportunity of realignment, of repentance. That moment that there's a time when God can withdraw. And we see that many times, especially in the drama of, of Israel as a nation before it was even split. And then Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And, and we see how God sometimes withdrew from his people. There's some scriptures that talk about a famine in the land of the word of God. I, I can't help but think of, of Europe. In many, many places where there is a great famine of the word of God, which is which is ironic, considering that this was the this was the location of where the Reformation came out of. And yet this same place is is it's not void. It's just very withdrawn now. The second thing we're going to look at is call out to him while he is still near. So again, Kind of going off of what the first part of verse 6 says. The emphasis though, and I think if uh, Isaiah wrote it, he's wanting us to get the idea that there is a time to come near while God is available. Okay? So, number three, repent of your wrongdoing, even your wrong thoughts. So sometimes it's we can change an action. I'm a nail-biter. Anyone else a nail-biter? In the, you admit it. We should have a club. Okay? However, you know, you try to stop biting your nails, but you maybe not stop thinking about biting your nails, right? You think about it. That's why, so thoughts generally precede actions, do they not? And then number four, uh, return, come back. It's pretty simple. It's very simple. So let's take a look at this number one. Take advantage of his availability in verse 6a of Isaiah chapter uh, 55. This verse applies both to the lost and to the saved. And I looked at it every which way you could imagine. Isaiah is preaching to his people there uh, in, uh, in, in, in Judah. And they had gotten off. He preached actually during his, Hezekiah's reign. There were four kings that he preached under. Hezekiah being a good one. Of course, and I think probably the last part of Manasseh. So it would be five. But Manasseh really turned things wrong. But even under Hezekiah, Isaiah is telling them to the wicked. And, and you have to understand, in, in our time on this side of the cross looking back, we have an idea of the wicked that's a little different. We, wicked can mean those who are simply, they're not Christians. They're, they're not born again. They have no covering for their sin. They're outside of Christ. They're the wicked, the wicked unbelievers, the, the ones separated from God because they have not repented of their sin. But also, uh, we can, as Christians, we can sometimes have wickedness in our life, right? I mean, we can do wicked things. That's the frustrating part, okay? We can do wicked things. And so, 
what I see happening here and what I've read and studied is this is really a, a, an admonition or a call to both groups. Change your wickedness. If, if you don't know the Lord, today's the day. If you do, shape up. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. There is never a time when we should not want to take advantage of his availability. Now, under this old covenant economy, it was not uncommon for them to understand that God can withdraw and not have anything going on. They lived like that for quite some time in various, at various aspects of that, uh, of that period. I mean, there was 400 years of silence between, I believe it was uh, uh, Malachi and, and John, the Baptist, okay, the baptizer. Four hundred years, not a peep. Now, that sounds like a famine. So, what would it be like to know that's a possibility in coming? Now, we on this side of the cross, looking back, we think, well, I've got Jesus, I'm good. First of all, if you're saying things like, I've got Jesus, I'm good, you're not good. You're not good at all. You're presumptuous. Okay, so watch that kind of attitude. The, but the point is, God is available right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with Him, Paul is admonishing, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So again, that comment I said, well, you know, I've got Jesus, I'm fine. Is, that's receiving the grace of God in vain. Um, the comments that say, well, God knows my flesh that I am but dust. That's all true, but are you using it as a reason to excuse what you're doing? We need to take an inventory of whether or not we, me, us, collectively as a church are receiving the grace of God in vain or treating that grace in a vain way. For he says, in an acceptable time, so there's that time component, right? In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now. So, Again, going back on it to look at it at two parts. The wicked. Who, who is that? Well, it's always the unbelievers, but sometimes it's me. And I don't think that I should be dragging my feet to repent and get right with God in my relationship with Him, knowing Him, any more than the wicked should drag their feet because they don't know that they have another minute. And for them, should that minute lapse and they find themselves tasting death alone in their sin and, and then being cast into Hades, waiting for their final judgment, no hope, lost for eternity, nothing but hell to look forward to for the next forever, that is not something you want to just say, I'll take my chances. And I've actually heard people say, well, I'll take my chances. So, why do they say that? Maybe because, maybe just one reason is because they're not seeing a benefit of the faith in me. 
Maybe they're not seeing redemption in me. Maybe they're seeing just another commercial for another product that doesn't really carry through, doesn't deliver. Maybe they're seeing vanity. Maybe they're seeing pride and arrogance. They're not seeing a transformation. Maybe, and that's, so that makes it tough for me. Because then I'm thinking, I am a, I'm giving a false testimony Not that I'm genuinely no Christ, but that I've gotten so encumbered by the world, so covered up with slag, if you will, that I'm not, that he's not visible much anymore. I got a memory verse for the day. I hate the cell phone, but I kind of like that it does this. You'll all, and it's all in big letters because I can do that. Um, First John chapter two. 15 through 17. What I just said. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not, the, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But now this last part. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So the question then, when we seek God... Is and, and when we project to the world is, and when we come to our faith, what is it that you want? What do you want? And I could call out like Sarah or Oscar or, you know, uh, you know, whoever, Keith and Rochelle and so on, and Tom. Or I could, what is it that you want more than anything else? Now, you don't answer that immediately. You got to sit down on it. And then be honest. You'll find that you're not quite as cut and dried as you may think. Now you know what the right answer is. But the evidence says otherwise. Now is the day of salvation. Isaiah 55, 1. And I like how he says, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And so it begs the question, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God. Are you thirsty for the truth of who he is? Are you thirsty? Number 2. Call out to him while he is near. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, now notice this part, have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, the Bible says, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. So, you say, I struggle in my prayer life. And I just, you know, I don't know what to do, so I just really don't. And I've heard this. I've heard lots of things. I've even said stuff. But the first question is, why don't you want to pray more? Like, do you have the urgency to? Do you have the urge to? Do you have an appetite for it? I read something, because, you know, this is the New Year's Day, and everyone's thinking about their waistlines a lot. And, um, and so they said sugar so manipulates and fouls up your tongue, your taste receptors, so that when you eat fruit, you know, the good stuff that God made, you don't like it. It's just not quite doing it for you. I mean, let's admit, an orange or an orange cream pie. 
Okay. Grape-flavored juice drink or a grape. So, but when you, when you get off the, the falsehoods, when you get the falsehoods out of your food, like sugar, if you eliminate that, things begin to recover. And then someone hands you an orange, and you're like, where did that come from? They make these ones that we always like, what are they called? Sumo oranges. Anyone know about those? Well, you ought to try one of those. They'll put you on your head. They're so good. They come out once a year. They're kind of expensive, but they're at Fred Meyer. So, just saying. <laughs> he said something about a sumo orange. Now you'll never forget. But if you've corrupted your taste buds with all of the eggnog and sweets and cake, you won't like it. So, when the sense of God's shining and smiling face feels far off, we should model the posture of humility and repentance before Him. So the first thing you do when you're not feeling like you ought to feel, when you're not wanting what you ought to want, when your want-tos are maybe hope-sos, you've got to come before God and just start there. God, I admit, I don't want much. I admit that I've gotten bored. I admit that I don't have an appetite to really talk much. I, got, I, I, I really admit I, get, I have no appetite for your word. I admit that I am inebriated with my own desires. My, I, I like my truck. I come up with an acronym today. This is a redneck list. It's my list. You can have your own list. Because I like alliteration a lot. And this is in no particular order. Things that American Christians get stuck on. Guns. Grub, girls, guys, okay, and goalposts. What do you think? That covers pretty much all of it. And any, you know, you can take your ascending order. It could be grub first. It could be goalposts. But whatever, that all covers it. When I, when I have more of an appetite for those things, that's going to mess with my sensitivity to the things that I really should be wanting. So I get before God. And in so doing, we begin to sense God again, the gracious smile of God. This is uh, from Eric Raymond. He writes this, This, lest we forget, was secured by our Lord Jesus when He endured God's righteous frown on our behalf. Now, that's a statement I want to just park on a second. I never heard, that's a good word. Jesus endured God's righteous frown on our behalf. This week, I had a uh, brother send me something that I needed desperately. I always say things to Jesus. I'm going to hold on to you and I'm not going to let go. And then I'll have the prayer. But why is it if I'm trying so hard to hold on to you, I don't feel like I'm doing so well? Why is it for all of the effort I'm trying to do to hold on to you that I feel like I'm farther away from you than when I wasn't trying to hold on at all? Then this dear brother sends me this uh, devotional that was attached to it. It was a hymn, but then it's redone. He will hold me fast. And then it reminds us that it isn't me that holds on to Jesus. It's Jesus that holds on to me. Do you know what this is right now that what we're doing? This is what we call an ordinary, which I don't think is really ordinary, but it's an ordinary means of grace. In other words... This is a gift that God has given under the new covenant of grace to His people 
to feed them every, at least once a week, okay, to draw them near. It's a time for us to gather as the church to come and get instruction from the Word, to come to Sunday school, to come, if we had small groups, we'd do that too, uh, to connect with each other, to pray together. This is an, we call it ordinary because it's so normal, but it's really abnormal. It's an extraordinary thing if you think about it because it makes no sense. We're here because we believe what Revelation says, what Jesus said of himself. I am the one who is dead but is alive, and I'm alive forevermore. So therefore, we're not coming in memory of someone. We're coming because he is, and he will hold us fast. So we take advantage of this ordinary means of grace that God's face from Christ, that he might smile upon his own people. Number three, repent of your wrongdoing, even your wrong thoughts. Now, anyone here would care to raise their hand on how struggling with your thoughts is a problem? Just don't, because you... Yeah, I sometimes wish I had a head transplant. Or, you know, you move stuff from your desktop to the recycle bin, but it's still there, and you have to empty the recycle bin. That's what I need. I can put it in the trash can, but it kind of sets there and grows mold and ick and leaks a little. I need it to be eliminated. That's what the 21 days each year is about. Quite honestly, we need more than that. But repent of your wrongdoing, even your wrong thoughts. Wrong thinking begins with wrong affection. So again, it's what do you want? What do you want? Mickey, what do you want more than anything? I want to know Christ and Him crucified and I want to be so filled with the Spirit they don't see me. Well then, why doesn't your life show those necessary disciplines that would prove it? Why is it more compelling or inviting to, to maybe uh, veg? We, we all use the word veg. Every one of you do too. Okay. And you like, maybe you'll veg in a game. Maybe you'll veg on a social media platform. Maybe you'll veg on YouTube. You know, what else do you need to know about a table saw? And you'll just, you, you, you waste, we waste copious amounts of time because the flesh loves to just sit there. The last thing it wants to do is redeem the time because the days are evil. So one of the things about setting our affections right is eliminating and start disciplining ourselves with spiritual disciplines. Hey, I got an idea. Instead of vegging out on YouTube, how about memorize your scripture? And then some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, right. Why not? Okay, fine. Just do something. <laughs> our minds are the battlefield of our souls. Only the application of the word of God to our minds can calm our souls. And here's how I would like to give you a mental picture of what that looks like to me. World War I trench warfare. Any historians in here? Really? No one here likes history? Some? Yes? Okay. Well, if you've ever watched the footage of the barrages that went on between the German lines and the Allied lines, I don't know how anything could live through that. I mean, it's just shelling, shelling, shell. They're still digging up shells. Still. 
Farmers over there that farm those fields, like the Psalm and all those areas, they have belly pans on their tractors just in case. And sure enough, you'll hear boom, but at least they lived. But that's what you got to do there to farm. How'd you like that, Dan? You know, what you welding under there, three inch plate for what? In case they had a bomb. Get a new field. No, but so that's what they do. So our, our warfare, that's what it looks like to me. I'm in this trench. I've got my rifle. I've got prayer. And it never stops coming down. There's only one place I can go to get it to stop coming down. And that's the rear. I retreat off the line and I go back to the supplies. That's the only place where it'll stop in this life. But that's not where the reward is. And that's not where God has called us. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Did you get that? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything. Now notice this last part. I put it in green because that's my color for emphasis. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now for those of you who struggle with a bad thought life, it doesn't always have to be x-rated. It can be just argumentative. It can be uh, resentful or full of selfishness or narcissism or whatever. There's all kinds of isms and schisms. I'm just saying, it says to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, you answer me this, hypothetically. How much time and effort would you have to spend doing that? Brian just raised his eyebrows up above his glasses frames. Okay, I saw that. Because, because when you start thinking about bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that's that. It just doesn't stop. Millions of shells never stopping. Well, it's either that or get blown to bits then. Go to the rear. Set with the supplies. Get an MRE of oatmeal in a chocolate bar that's shaped like a stick. And be ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We as a church, are so we're called to obedience. But we can't really do that corporately unless we're doing it individually. Number four, return. Come back. That's what the text is telling them. It's really quite simple. Sometimes you say, I feel far from God. Well, come back. He didn't move. <laughs> you did, right? Psalm 80, 14 through 19. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit the vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Obviously, we're talking Jesus here. Then he will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. We will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. This is, restore is a big word for us. And then I like this. Cause your face to shine 
and we shall be saved. Notice where the emphasis here is. God, we can't, you can. Do this. I've drifted. Draw me back. I'm angry. Take my anger away. I'm dissatisfied. Become my satisfaction. Or my own personal prayer request that I probably can't dig up right now goes something like this. Remove my insecurity so far from me that I stop polluting the relationships that I have so that people will see Jesus in me instead of me. Not that interesting. Do you think you just pray that once and go on? No. You're standing there in the trench. You've got your Bible in one hand. You've got the heart for prayer in the other. And you're getting blasted. And the funny thing is, well, it's not like funny haha, it's like funny strange. When you begin to pray that way, all the shells that are flying really kind of seem to come around you more. Then there's rats coming up your britches leg. And stuff begins to happen in your life that would cause you to say, this is for the birds. And you realize that God's grace is getting stronger because you're a threat now. I had a man tell me one time he had recommitted his life to Christ. Um, he, had come out of very, he had come out of a very legalistic church. They had 21 rules, actually. 21, you had to follow. And of course, there was movies and cards and things like that all involved. Anyway, really made him angry. Because legalism, in the name of Christianity, will always leave you angry. So then you have this ginormous chip that you bring into every other church. Hi, my name is so-and-so. This is my chip, too. Okay, don't say anything to me because he's got a mind of his own. You might trigger him. This guy, this happened to this guy. He began to serve the Lord. He began to to pray, he was studying, and there was the sweetness. His business took a hit. Hard. And he disappeared. And I said, where did you go? And he, finally he called me back. He said, uh, well, I just decided if that's all God was going to give me, that's all I'm going to give him. That was his exact quote. Just don't do that. I don't even need to comment. Just don't do that. Lastly, he will have mercy on him and to to our God, for he will abundantly pardon and forgive. That's what God desires to do. Abundantly pardon and forgive. I know this. Looking out at the array of people, and I don't know all of you. I have an idea. Guess what? We're all the same. We all have feet of clay. We all have warts and things that are ugly. And we have a God that loves us passionately. Something else. We all, none of us have any problems that are unresolvable. Just say it. I don't care what it is. None of us have any problems that are unresolvable. However, I would say that, are you, I would ask, are you in the trench? Are you fighting? The good fight of faith. Are you 
in prayer and in the Word? And are you disciplining yourself like Paul talks about? Are you engaged in the battle? Because if you're in the rear, you probably aren't going to see much at all. Matthew Poole commented on this section. He said, For he will abundantly pardon. He useth so many words and arguments to encourage them to repentance because the persons here invited were guilty of idolatry. Notice the list. Idolatry, apostasy, and many other gross wickednesses which he knew when they came to themselves and to a serious sense of their sins and of the just and holy nature and law of God when they did that. They would be an insupportable burden to their awkward consciousness or their awakened consciousnesses and make them very prone to conclude that God either could not or would not pardon such horrid delinquencies and therefore would rather drive them from God than draw them to Him. What he's saying is, once they come to their senses, they might be so ashamed that they would think God would want nothing to do with them. But that's just, that's just not true. God is especially drawn to broken things. So, with that, I'm going to tell you now about where we're going next. I worked hard on this. There are typos, I'm sure of it. Please don't tell me. (laughs) Okay? Because so what good will it do now? There are uh, four weeks in one day of sermons in this, of, of, of a series of messages in this book. They're available in this box. Each week, well, so each week starts out with week one, day one. And you listen to the time stamps that I have included at the top of the page. And it will actually conclude that day with a time stamp of where to end. So you'll know. And I'm going to show you what a time stamp is. Just in case you don't know, and I hope all this works out. Let me do that, and then let me do this, and then let me do this. Nope, that's the wrong one. Colin probably knows a better way, but I just don't. So, okay, let me do that. Slow. Okay. There it is. So, can you, does that work? Oh, good. So, when, this is off of my cell phone. This is just a shot of my cell phone screen. Okay. These messages are all located on our website, in our fellowship.org. Go to sermons, click the arrow, and it will take you to the prayer and fasting sermons. They're in sequential order. One, two, three, four, five. Start with number one. (laughs) Okay. So if you do this on your cell phone, you're going to be redirected to the sermon audio page. It might look like this. It might look a little different. If you're on a computer doing it, it's going to look a little different. But notice this part right here. That's a time stamp. Notice this part over here. That's how long that message is, well, that's not true. That's how, that's how much time is, is left, right? That's how much time is left. This is the time stamp. So, so far from where this bar is stopped, you've 33 minutes and 20 seconds. That's where this little bar is. So if you back it up, it's going to come down in number. 
So that's called the timestamp. This book is put together with timestamps. So whether you open it on your phone or whether you open it on your computer, whenever what I what I tried to do was whenever he's preaching through the, the, the sermon and he makes a valid point, which pretty much all of it's valid, which is why it's so grueling to write it out. Uh, I just put the time stamp of when that thought started and wrote out the whole thought verbatim, which was crazy. And then I went back and selected words and removed them and put in a blank so that you could fill in the blank. That's what I did. So if you get lost, all you got to do is go back to the timestamp and listen forward. Use your pause button sometimes. So that's, that's how this works. Week one, day one. Now this, this series of messages is from Richard Owen Roberts. And it's going to cover 2 Chronicles chapter 28 all the way through chapter 32. So there's a lot there. But it's also Richard Owen Roberts and there's a really a lot there. Okay, so the first message is called Something is Wrong. Clearly there is. The second message is called Something Must Be Done. Clearly there should be something done. Number three says, or the third message is Something Must Happen. All this is coming from the text. And sermon four is Something Must Change. That's when you're getting down to brass tacks. Okay? And you should track all through your listening guide by filling in those blanks, using your timestamps. Maybe having some thoughts. There are some other things. When you get your book, I would encourage you to read the introductory letter to the church family. And then read the other material associated with it. So you can get finally to the first uh, message. Okay? Please be familiar with the book and use it. Lastly, there will be a sixth sermon added before these are over. But it's not yet. Because I don't want you cheating. At the end of the book, I say, if you want to know the final answer, you've got to go listen to sermon number six. It does not have a listening guide. No chance of that happening after all that. But it gives the answer. It's up to you. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now, the other thing is, starting next Sunday all the way through the end of these sermons, which would probably be this month, we're going to have Sunday school combined. Okay? Not the little kids. They would hate us forever. (laughs) But we're going to come together. And the whole point of it is, is that you have done due diligence in reading through your book, and you've had a red pen. I'm a fan of red pens. Okay? And yellow highlighters. And you may highlight or take a note. When we come together, my job is not to say, look at this and this and this. Your job is to say, what about this and this and this? That's your job. Your job is to say, he made this point. He said this. And gosh, it's really working me over. Someone else might say, me too. What's that about? Because if we're doing this corporately, we need to know where we are corporately with what's being disseminated here. Amen? So... That's going to be happening in Sunday school starting next Sunday. Also, during this month, at some point on a Sunday afternoon, probably around 5 or 5.30, we're going to watch a documentary movie, docu-movie, 
about, it's called revival, and it's hard. It's, a, it's, it's, it's 117 minutes long. That's just short of two hours. So, and what it is, is a, is a snapshot of biographies of different preachers and pastors and churches and, and nations from the Reformation going forward. It's like drinking water from a fire hose. I find it completely fascinating. But I'm going to say this. There's no way we can have child care for that unless someone can come up with a miraculous solution. But if you listen to it, you will have a definitive idea and knowledge of what it means to seek the Lord in biblical revival and what we're after. But it's hard. You're going to have to work at it. This is not just a, oh, it'll... You're going to have to pay copious attention. That's probably about the worst kind of motivating factor to get you here, what I just described. But I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not boring. It's intense. And it's a deluge of, of information coming at you nonstop. But it takes you to the places that it shows you the stuff. It's completely invigorating to me. So, that's, so the prayer guides are available after we have our communion service, um, and when we close, you guys can feel free to come up and get one. All I ask is if you get one, use it. Use it. Okay? Don't give up. And like I said, prepare for the battle. So because one of the main things that is involved in uh, seeking the Lord is prayer, right? So this thing that we're doing in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I'll speak on that real quick. When you fast, now some of you may not need to fast. If you're, if you're pregnant or nursing, probably not a good idea. Okay, if you have a diabetic problem, probably not a good idea. But as I always say, food is not always an issue for everybody. Okay, could be social media, news, whatever habits you do. The point of the fast is to eliminate such things in your life that cause your body to know that you're doing something that's not a normal thing to do. And you use that time to focus on the Lord and to seek God. Most of the time, I think people get too focused on their fast and what they're giving up to appreciate what they're putting in. The whole point is to seek the Lord, not just get good at fasting. So don't do that. Seek the Lord in whatever it is you have with that you're fasting. Maybe a meal a day and... No social media. Or you just take, you should have been praying about that by now. I've been saying, so you should have been prepared. If you have, if you need some help, I'm happy to talk with you about it. But that starts for me tomorrow. And I figured most people are going to start that tomorrow. Um, The point is seek the Lord. Prayer. What we do individually generally shows up when we're together corporately, right? So whenever God's people are on their knees individually, they're going to be on their knees corporately. That's going to manifest. And I'm speaking in a lot of figurative ways because some of you don't need to get on your knees. But some of you can. The point is we're all in here bowed in, in desperation for the Lord. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a few moments to pray. And what I want to do is I want to ask our elders to lead us in corporate prayer. Start off with Brian and then Travis and then Rich, there you are. You've moved. 
it's not right. Okay? And, and then I would also like, in, in sequential order, right after the fact, I would like our, uh, our deacons to come in right behind. So we'll start with Mike and then Dan and then Lynn and then, I know Brian's here. Brian's out yonder. So we'll just do those, okay? Where's Randy? Well, Randy's ill. So, okay, let's do that. So let's go ahead and start then, shall we? In corporate prayer, this is the, this is the jumping off point. Okay, men.